Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of uh, speaking to uh, three uh, dear friends and colleagues, uh, Dr. Andrea Mariani and Dr. Gretchen Glazer from the, the uh, Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And then also Giuseppe Cucinella, who's now at the Instituto Nacional de Tumori, Giovanni Pascale, Napoli, Italy. Uh, we're going to speak about their article titled Prognostic Value of Isolated Tumor Cells in Sentinel Lymph Nodes in Low-Risk Endometrial Cancer Results from an International Multi-Institutional Study. Welcome to all of you, and thank you so much once again for accepting our invitation to speak about this, uh, this important study. Thank, thank you. you. We're thrilled to be here. Thank you Bye. for having us. Yes, thank you so, so much once again also for submitting your work uh, to our journal. Um, and we have lots of questions and, of course, obviously an important topic uh, for all of us in gynecologic oncology as we continue to debate uh, what is the impact of isolated tumor cells, um, how do we manage patients with isolated tumor cells. And this is, a, you know, certainly particularly a unique population, those with low risk endometrial cancer. So, Giuseppe, I'll start with you. And... Um, one question today in gynecologic oncology is whether the presence of isolated tumor cell impacts outcomes at all. And often what seems frustrating is whether we will ever have the ideal study to answer that question. So what, what is the aim of this study? Uh, yes, thank you for the very interesting question. So the aim of our study was to evaluate the pronostic value of isolated tumor cells in patients with low-risk endometrial cancer who underwent sentinel lymph node biopsy and didn't receive any adjuvant therapy. In addition, to overcome the limitation of the current literature, we thought that a comparison between patients with isolated tumor cells and negative nodes may increase the clarity. And so at the end, we compare the outcomes of ITC patients with patients with a similar risk profile and negative sentinel lymph nodes. Very well. Um, so to that point, uh, the study encompassed data from I believe it's 15 centers worldwide and the Mayo Clinic. Um, what can you tell us about the inclusion criteria of the study? Yes, we included the surgical stage patient with final FIGO 29 stage 1A endometrial cancer with low risk characteristic. So endometrioid histology, grade one or grade two and myometrial invasion less than 50%. We also included patients with positive lymphovascular space invasion, but we performed an additional analysis after excluding this patient with positive LVSI, according to the most recent ESGO-ESTRO-ESP definition of low-risk endometrial cancer. All of our patients underwent sentinel lymph node biopsy and had the negative nodes or ITC in the sentinel lymph nodes without micro or macro metastasis. In addition, only patients who didn't receive adjuvant treatment in either vaginal break therapy, so had only observation, were included. And patients with the ITC were collected from all the centers worldwide, while those with negative nodes were only from Mayo Clinic Rochester. Fantastic. So I'll turn over to uh, Gretchen now um, for the results of the study before we get into all the questions about the um, the details of the study. 
Uh, Gretchen, would you share with us what are what are the highlights and the main take home messages uh, from the from the study? Yeah, thanks for that question. So our study showed that in patients with a similar low risk uterine profile who did not receive adjuvant treatment, as Giuseppe was saying, um, recurrence free survival was significantly worse in patients with isolated tumor cells in their sentinel lymph nodes compared with those who had negative nodes. This was true even after excluding patients with LVSI. However, we did not observe any significant difference in overall survival in either the full sample or the subset excluding patients with LVSI. We also showed that isolated tumor cells, presence of LVSI, and FIGO grade 2 were significantly associated with both recurrence events, both the any event, any recurrence, and non-vaginal recurrences. So I would say the take-home message is that we need to seek more information about patients with low-risk endometrial cancer coupled with isolated tumor cells before concluding that their risk profile is similar to those with negative nodes. The studies leading up to this one that have examined patients with isolated tumor cells have included a more heterogeneous population of patients in terms of uterine risk profile and adjuvant therapy. And of course, a prospective, prospective study is what comes next. Excellent. Yeah, very, very uh, pertinent points. And, uh, and I'd like to start now um, with some of the questions from our fellows in the journal. And um, I'll turn to Giuseppe for this one. This one's from Matt Wager from the University of Wisconsin. And he's asking, the data suggests that isolated tumor cells in the presence of uterine lymphovascular invasion is an unclear prognostic indicator. How do you anticipate the prognostic utility of isolated tumor cells will change with the incorporation of molecular classifiers in the endometrial cancer treatment? Yeah, first of all, thank you, Matt, uh, for the very interesting question. Um, so, so far, the impact of molecular classification on the risk of recurrence in the non-positive patients is still unclear, and we have no data yet about the molecular analysis in the specific subject of ITC patients and low risk. However, uh, of note, we need to mention that at the ESGO 2022 conference, our group and Dr. Schivardi from our group presented the preliminary data on molecular classification in the low volume metastasis population. Uh, just a brief results, the vast majority were NSMP with a prevalence of about 50%, and while 31% were mismatch repair deficiency, 13% were P53 abnormal, and we have just one poly patients. So in this sense, we may need further markers to better and to stratify these patients even with ITC. And so we need more studies on that. Excellent. Um, this question comes to us from Jorge Hegel. He's in Venezuela. And I'll ask uh, Gretchen, um, he says, uh, lymphovascular space invasion has traditionally been an independent prognostic factor in endometrial cancer. In this study, it was classified as either absent or present. You think that if the modifications of the FIGO 2023 lymphovascular space report have been applied, different results could have been obtained. Yeah, thank you, Jorge, for this question. You know, this is a great point. And to be honest, we acknowledge that the classification of LVSI into present and absent is an important limitation of this study. 
essentially, we really don't know if the results would have been different if the FIGO 2023 lymphovascular space invasion definition of negative or focal versus substantial or extensive had been applied. But this is currently the best data we have available. And this is the reason that we're currently in the process of reviewing the pathology from the 15 centers worldwide to address this issue. Fantastic. So we'll turn now to uh, Professor Mariani for the easier questions. Um, <laughs> this question is from Jorge Hegel, and um, he asked, almost 10% of the patients in the sentinel lymph node isolated tumor cell group had non-vaginal recurrences. What do you think could be the cause of this relapse pattern in this group of patients? Oh, thank you. Thank you for this question. And this is the largest study that, or one of the largest together with the Baker's study that we have on this topic, but still we have very small numbers. And so we are dealing basically with five recurrences. One is vaginal, two are distant, and two are lymphatic. So we are really uh, dealing with uh, small numbers and five patients of those five patients with recurrence, none of them died of disease. So the first uh, comment that I have about this, that we are uh, dealing with uh, an indolent type of disease as expected in this low risk population. But the question is what causes this uh, recurrence, what we find in our study is that we have uh, three risk factors for recurrence. ITC, grade two, and lymphovascular invasion. And the recurrences were more likely to occur when there was more than one risk factors. So 50% of ITC patients with grade two and lymphovascular invasion had recurrence compared to 18% with grade two and no lymphovascular invasion, and only 4% of ITC patient with grade one and no lymphovascular invasion had recurrence. So what we see here, we still see that even in this low risk population, uterine risk factor still seems to play a role in the prediction of recurrence. Also, the other thing we see that ITC, we have lymphatic recurrence here, and the ITC may be also a sign of occult lymphatic disease, as expected. And again, all of these comments are made based on the fact that this number is still small. So uh, we need to take the data that we have, but uh, this is what we can see in the data that we have. Yeah, and also always a, a very interesting point you bring up with regards to the fact that it's, it's often difficult to separate the uterine risk factors from the uh, uh, status of, of those lymph nodes. Um, I'll, I'll turn over to Giuseppe now. Um, this question comes from Jessica Mauro in Italy. And um, she asked, do you think that the results obtained from your data can be applied to higher risk histotypes as well. For example, an endometrioid grade three confined to a polyp or with limited myometrial invasion. Yeah, thank you for the question. Thank you, Jessica. So regarding the patient with higher risk histotypes or other risk factors, 
Our group from Mayo have already shown that in patients with low-volume metastasis and non-endometrioid histology or grade 3, these were independent risk factors for recurrence. And also in the multivariate analysis, non-endometrioid remained a risk factor. And moreover, the fact is that the patients with risk factor had poor prognosis even when receiving adjuvant treatment. So in other words, the population at high risk is not comparable to the population of our study, while the open question is more about which one is the most appropriate treatment approach for the high risk population. Finally, in the case of endometroid grade 3 limited to a polyp and ITC, maybe in this specific sub subset there is a role for the molecular analysis. For instance, in a series from Memorial that was published in 2022 by Dr. Zamarelli, patients with copy number high endometroid grade 3 stage 1 had the worst progression-free survival and the worst survival in the patient with other molecular subtypes. So maybe the molecular analysis can help us in this subset of patients. Yes, thank you, uh, Giuseppe. And in continuing on this uh, theme of the molecular classification, I'll, uh, I'll turn to Gretchen. And uh, Giuseppe Caruso from Italy, of course, uh, asked, uh, um, how do you think molecular classification can guide decision-making in this subset of low-risk endometrial cancer patients with isolated tumor cells in the sentinel lymph node? Great. Thank you, Giuseppe. Well, our Giuseppe, just a few minutes ago, <laughs> talked about the study that we had the abstract for, um, looking at molecular profile associated with lymph node metastasis. So that's one place that we'll start. Um, but then for other things, we want to think about molecular subtypes that may confer a higher risk of recurrence, such as P53 abnormal. In a 2023 study by Jameson, they combined a population, a retrospective Canadian population with the cohorts from Portec 1 and 2, and examined the clinical significance of P53 abnormal in otherwise stage one, low-grade endometrioid endometrial cancers. They found that only 2.5% of these patients with stage one, low-grade disease had a P53 abnormal result, and that the recurrence-free survival was significantly lower in those patients with P53 abnormal. Then, and it was lower than um, in patients with an NSMP, so 69% recurrence-free survival in the P53 abnormal versus 94% recurrence-free survival in the NSMP. Another example we can think about is the final validation of the PROMISE algorithm. So that was published in 2018. And for that one, molecular classification with PROMISE was a prognostic marker for progression-free and disease-specific survival, even after adjusting for known risk factors. Um, so with these examples in mind, the decision-making process in this low-risk subset could really be guided by isolated tumor cells in conjunction with other features like molecular classification. And this could be molecular classification as we know it in the PROMISE algorithm, or could include estrogen receptor profiles and include L1CAM, CTNNB. I think there's lots that we have to learn about all of these things. Excellent. Very well. Um, I'll turn to Andrea. Um, this question is from uh, Matt Wager again from Wisconsin. And he notes, isolated tumor cells may be factored into the decision to use external beam radiotherapy when other uterine risk factors are present in lieu of brachytherapy. How do the authors currently approach adjuvant treatment of the patient with low-grade stage one endometrial cancers with isolated tumor cells? 
Yes, thank you for this question. If uh, we consider low-risk patient with ITC included in this analysis, we are currently rolling them in a prospective observational trial with the intense follow-up and CT scan imaging every six months. And this will allow us to better understand the natural history of this disease. Also, every patient with ITC usually comes to tumor board. And so we have also a general discussion about that. Regarding the role of external beam radiotherapy, we don't, uh, we, we currently do not routinely prescribe external beam radiotherapy to these patients. However, it's an interesting suggestion because if we look at where were the recurrences, three of the five recurrences were local region. It was one was vaginal and the two uh, were in the lymph node in the pelvic and the growing uh, lymph nodes. So something that can be treatable with external beam radiation. And so perhaps when uh, in, in the future, when we analyze the data, we may discover that patients with grade two and the lymphovascular invasion, perhaps those patients may benefit from this type of approach. But for the moment, we don't we do not have the data to support that. Yeah, uh, Andrea, I'll, I'll have a, just a, a follow up uh, question to that, and, and and I think that a lot of us kind of agree that if you have isolated tumor cells, I'd say in, in one lymph node, then likely there won't be any adjuvant treatment provided that the uterine risk factors do not call for adjuvant treatment. But what what about in the patients where you have say bilateral? isolated tumor cells or multiple lymph nodes with isolated tumor cells, then are, are you more persuaded to offer treatment? You know, and again, you use the right word, are you more persuaded? Because right now we don't have good data. And this is why I said that this patient needs to be discussed at a multidisciplinary tumor board. Right now, I am not aware of any data that uh, support this, at least in the isolated tumor cell. We publish on the type of metastasis that may increase the risk of uh, distant metastasis or, or distant lymphatic metastasis, but I'm not aware of a specific study that looks at this in ITC. We are in the process with our pathologists to, to look at this also as a risk factor, but uh, certainly right now we don't have good data to support that. Okay. Um, uh, Giuseppe, this question is from Seda Sahin Akar in uh, Turkey. And uh, again, continuing on the theme of how would you manage this patient? Um, she's asking, uh, according to your results, what treatment would you suggest for an endometrioid grade two stage 1A with lymphovascular invasion? And I presume with uh, sentinel lymph nodes showing isolated tumor cells. Yes, thank you for the for the question. Thank you, Seda. And actually, this case represents a challenging situation, and this is based on the recommendation we have from the landmark studies on endometrial cancer, the PORTEC and the GOG clinical trials. For example, the GOG99 and GOG249 studies, in this study, grade 2 was considered a risk factor equal to grade 3 
while in the PORTEC study, grade one and grade two were grouped together in view of the clinical limitation of grade two pathological finding. Indeed, the distinction between grade one and two is subject to interpathologist variability with a significant downshift from grade two to one after central pathology review. So the first point is grade two, what is if, if it's a risk factor or not. On the other hand, several studies, mostly from European institutions, show that LVSI is an independent and strong prognostic factor. And also there is a series from the United States published in 2012 that have shown that LVSI appears to be highly predictive of nodal metastasis. So in this sense, also the FIGO 2023 classified patients with positive LVSI as a stage two, regardless of the other uterine characteristics. So finally, to look, to looking at these patients, according to the NCCN guidelines, the patient with grade two only is a candidate for observation. But if we take in mind that uh, the risk of recurrence is higher with older age and LVSI, a patient older than six years old and or with LVSI positive uh, go for vaginal brachytherapy. While according to the last ESGO guidelines published in 2021, the presence of LVSI may trigger for a more aggressive adjuvant treatment, such as external radiation therapy. So this is a real challenge case. Very well. Um, now, uh, Gretchen, I'll turn to you. This question comes from Jessica Mauro, and she's asking about surveillance. Um, what What is the follow-up regimen that should be recommended? There's been some discussions in the past about this sort of like minimalistic follow-up regimen in low-risk endometrial cancer. Um, are cases with isolated tumor cells to also be included in this minimalistic approach to surveillance? That is a great question, Jessica, thank you. So we acknowledge the results of the TOTEM trial, um, which showed that an intensive follow-up protocol doesn't translate into overall survival improvements in low-risk or in high-risk patients. But on the other hand, we don't have a good understanding of the behavior of ITCs, especially in the absence of adjuvant treatment. So in the TOTEM trial, a third of the patients had received some sort of adjuvant therapy. So in this sense, we think that a more intensive follow-up than a minimalist protocol with only physical examinations may help us to better understand the behavior of this type of low volume metastasis, especially in the absence of adjuvant therapy. And Andrea talked earlier about our current prospective trial. Um, so it's called the ENDO-ITC clinical trial. And we're proposing a more intensive strategy of follow-up for um, these patients with pelvic exam, and then also a chest, abdomen, pelvis CT every six months for three years. And we don't know. We don't know if this protocol will be associated with a higher and earlier probability of detecting a recurrence, but maybe. And although we think it's reasonable for this patient population, because again, we just don't know what the behavior of these are. And we anticipate that it will at least help us to understand ITCs and their behavior and recurrence. Great, so the endo-ITC, look forward to uh, results from that study. Um, Andrea, I'll turn to you. And um, when looking at this data, there are some who might say that given the fact that not a single patient with isolated tumor cells died of endometrial cancer, is the presence of isolated tumor cells really relevant? In other words, when present, do they truly need treatment, particularly given the fact 
that if they recur, they seem to be very salvageable patients. You know, this is really true. And thank you for this very important observation. Perhaps this patient can just be observed and treated at the time of recurrence. And ITC, we, we may discover that it doesn't really matter. In fact, no one of the 42 patients with ITC at low risk died of disease. Uh, so it seems that it's uh, at least uh, we are dealing with uh, an indolent disease. And so the, all of this is true. But at the same time, I reinforce that we have still limited data in terms of number. We have still limited follow-up. And so this is why it's important an international effort of multiple institutions that we can put together our effort because we can't do it alone. We need to put together all our effort and look at these patients prospectively. So observe them and see what's happening. And perhaps we will discover that we may treat them at the time of recurrence. Great. So I'll direct this next question to Giuseppe, but love to hear from Andrea or Gretchen also as to the views by pathologists at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, one item that seems to be more frequent these days is that in many institutions, pathologists are not willing to perform ultra-staging on very low-risk patients, such as this population you have here. In other words, uh, stating that the risk of isolated tumor cells is so small that therefore it doesn't justify the time nor the cost of all that ultra staging. So what are your thoughts regarding this? Yeah, first of all, thank you for the question. It's a very great point. And uh, I totally agree that although sentinel link biopsy and ultra staging are accurate in detection, detecting nodal metastasis, this increased cost and it may be not useful in uncertain subgroups. And regarding the utility of sentinel lymph nodes, we need to mention the paper led by Dr. Mueller from Memorial, where they have shown that there were no positive sentinel lymph nodes among 510 patients with non-invasive endometrioid endometrial cancer grade one or two, and the rate of ITC in this subset was below 1%. Uh, on the same level, we, uh, our group is conducting a multicenter study that is led by Dr. Devitis, in which we confirm that in low-grade, non-invasive endometrial endometrial cancer, the risk of metastasis is below 1%. So saying that, uh, ultra-staging could be safely omitted in low-grade endometrial endometrial cancer with no myo-invasion. However, if we consider patients with grade one or two at endometroid and myometrial invasion less than 50%, the risk of metastasis is estimated to be greater than 1%. In our series, it was 2.8%. In the series for Memorial, it was 4.3%. So in conclusion, this data support the use of ultrastaging in case of any myometrial invasion, while it can be omitted when there are no myometrial invasion. And also, our prospective NITC trial will look also at that in a prospective way. Excellent. Very good. So um, I'll finish with a question to uh, Gretchen. And this question is from Giuseppe Russo. And he asked, this study has several limitations, mainly due to the retrospective design, which uh, makes it difficult to, to draw 
definitive conclusions. Uh, what are your thoughts or what should be the next steps in research to shed more light on the prognostic role of isolated tumor cells in low-risk endometrial cancer patients? Well, I am just very excited about this question, Giuseppe, because it allows me to talk about the endo-ITC again. <laughs> Seriously, uh, patients with low-risk endometrial cancer and negative LVSI are not candidates for adjuvant treatment given their low risk of recurrence. However, it's still unclear whether ITCs are a risk factor in this group and our data contrasts with other evidence published in the literature. So what do we need next? We need prospective data. And as Andrea was saying, we need prospective multi-center international data to be able to answer this question. So we do have the endo-ITC study that we've just started with the aim of definitively establishing the prognostic role of ITC in an otherwise low-risk population. If the negative impact on prognosis is confirmed, patients with apparent low-risk endometrial cancer who also have ITCs might benefit from closer follow-up or even adjuvant treatment to earlier detect or prevent recurrence. And like you were saying before, you know, maybe that's different based on how many nodes have ITCs and how many cells are in them. And, you know, how many, um, if there's, you know, multiple on both sides. So alternatively, if we demonstrate that ITCs do not affect recurrence-free survival in otherwise low-risk patients, we're going shorter-term surveillance and kind of letting patients have that minimalist follow-up or letting them not have adjuvant therapy, we could more confidently recommend that. So, you know, we're really excited about this prospective study. We think this is the next step. And um, yeah, just happy to happy to be doing this and to get this data out there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to all three of you, Giuseppe Cucinella, uh, Gretchen Glaser, and uh, Andrea Mariani. Always, always uh, learned so much from speaking with, with all of you. And uh, once again, thank you for accepting our invitation to doing the podcast. Congratulations to all of the co-authors of, of the study. And we're really looking forward to the exciting results that are, I'm sure, due next on the uh, Endo-ITC. Thank, thank you. you. We really loved being here. It was super fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity.